Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness, where an elderly spinster has been poisoned in her country home. Everyone blamed Emily's accident on a rubber ball left on the stairs by her frisky terrier. But the more she thought about her fall, the more convinced she became that one of her relatives was trying to kill her. On April 17th, she wrote her suspicions in a letter to Hercule Poirot. Mysteriously, he didn't receive the letter until June 28th, by which time Emily was already dead. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Hercule Poirot and Simon Williams as Captain Hastings in Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness. My friend Poirot has a particular routine when he opens his morning correspondence. He picks up each letter, scrutinizes the postmark, mm-hmm. neatly slits the envelope open with his paper knife, peruses the letter minutely, mm-hmm. places it delicately on one of the four piles beyond the toast rack and takes a sip of his breakfast chocolate. But on this particular occasion, he paused, read the letter through again, and passed it over to me. Tell me what you think, mon ami. Mm. It's just like my great-aunt Maud's writing, as if a spider had got into the ink pot. Can't you just tell me what it says? I should prefer you to form your own judgment. Mm, Very well. Uh, Dear sir, after much doubt and indecision, I am emboldened to write to you. You were mentioned to me by a Miss Fox of Exeter, and although she was not herself acquainted with you, she mentioned that her brother-in-law's sister, whose name I'm sorry to say I cannot recall... Does she ever get to the point? Patience, my friend, patience. Mm. In my present dilemma, it occurs to me that you might undertake the necessary investigations on my behalf. Uh, What dilemma? Have I missed a sheet? No, 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 you must persevere. Mm. It is quite impossible for me to consult anyone here at Market Basing, but you will naturally understand from your great experience that I feel uneasy and ever since the incident of the dog's ball, increasingly alarmed. Perhaps you would kindly let me know what your fees are and what you would advise me to do in the matter. I remain yours faithfully, Emily Arundel. But Poirot, what is all this about? Is there something I've missed? The date, Hastings. The date. Mm. April 17th. And today is June 28th. The letter was written over two months ago. Oh. Why was it not sent? Uh, I suppose the old biddy changed her mind. Then why post it now? Are you going to answer it? No, Hastings. We must go down to Market Basing. You mean now? Today? Why not? It would be better than stifling here in London. <laughs> would not the country be more agreeable? Shall we go in the car? Excellent. I will get my overcoat and scarf. But we're not going to the North Pole. Ah, one must always be careful of catching the chill. Well, have it your own way. You'll probably die of heat exhaustion. Market Basing was a charming little place that had long ago abandoned any attempt to keep up with modern life 
and had hidden itself away from the busy Great West Road behind a secluded bypass. We found Little Greenhouse easily enough, but a surprise awaited us. To be let or sold, Gabler and Scuttle. On the other side of the fence, a wire-haired terrier came rushing up. Hello, old chap. You're doing a really splendid job guarding the house. The incident of the dog's ball. Well, at least we have the dog. So, uh, what next? A little call on Gabler and Scuttle? Mm hmm That seems indicated. The house agent was obviously looking for a quick sale. Poirot's correspondent, Emily Arundel, had died rather unexpectedly and the property had been left to her companion, a Miss Lawson, but it was far too big for her needs. It sounds exactly what I am looking for. Could you give me an order to view? And to my astonishment, Poirot gave his name as... Signor Parotti. Ah, Mr Gabler will be pretty disappointed when we don't go back. I think he feels Little Greenhouse is as good as sold. Yes, I fear there is a deception in store for him. Ah, I suppose we may as well have lunch here before going back to London. My dear Hastings, I am not proposing to leave Market Basing so quickly. Hmm. We have not yet accomplished what we came to do. But, my dear fellow, it's all a washout. The old lady's dead. Precisely. But if she's dead, then what's the point? Whatever the trouble was, it's over and finished with. Oh, how carelessly you put the matter aside, Hastings. Let me tell you this. No matter is ever over and finished with until Hercule Poirot ceases to concern himself with it. So, where do we go now? A spot of lunch, perhaps? No. First, we will visit the churchyard. It may have something to tell us. Sacred to the memory of Emily Harriet Laverton, Arundel died May the 1st, 1936. And her letter to me was dated April 17th. And I did not receive it until today. You see, do you not, my friend, that there is a mystery to be explained? So, let us fortify ourselves with a bon beefsteak and a glass of wine. <clears throat> Since Poirot was obviously determined to leave no stone unturned, we booked into the George, a rambling old inn on the market square. I should have known from the smell of stale food clinging to the walls what lunch would be like. Mutton, large slabs of watery cabbage and dispirited potatoes. But the asthmatic elderly waiter turned out to be a mine of information, and it appeared that old Miss Arundel had been a very wealthy woman indeed. The fact that she had left both her house and her fortune to her middle-aged housekeeper and not to her own flesh and blood had caused a considerable scandal in market basing. After lunch was over, Poirot led the way briskly down to Little Green House, holding his order to view firmly in his hand. Oh, you must be Mr. Perotti. The house agent telephoned. Please come in, gentlemen. If you'd care to follow me, I'll take you round. Everything was spotlessly clean. Poirot and I behaved in the customary way of being shown round houses, muttering things like, very nice, and a most pleasant room. This is the dining room, sir. Uh, and those are the Arundel family pictures. That's the late mistress. And those are her three sisters. She outlived them all. Uh, and that's 
Her father, the old general. He was out in India at the time of the Great Mutiny, so I've heard. <laughs> oh, oh, Bob, you <laughs> naughty dog. Don't, don't mind him, sir. He won't do you no harm. Hello, Bob. Oh, nice little fellow, aren't you? And this is the drawing room. Oh. Well, what does he find so interesting about that little table? It's after his ball, sir. It was always kept in that drawer while the mistress was alive. It isn't there any longer. Bobsy's ball's in the kitchen. In the kitchen, Bobsy. You were with your mistress a long time. Uh, oh, pardon, I do not know your name. Ellen, sir. I've been here 22 years. And supposing I were to buy this house, Ellen, would you stay on? Oh, it's very kind of you, sir, but I'm going to retire from service. I'm only staying here as a convenience to Miss Lawson until the place is sold. Was your mistress's illness a long and painful one? No, I wouldn't say that, sir. She'd been ailing, if you know what I mean, for a long time. Ever since two years ago, when she had the jaundice. Ah, yes. But she got over that, and her brain was as keen as anything. So, what was this last illness of hers? It was the same sort of thing, sir. That nasty yellow colour again, and the terrible sickness and all the rest of it. Ah, brought it on herself, poor soul, eating a lot of things she shouldn't have done. That very evening she was taken ill, she'd had curry for supper. Well, what's that? Oh, it's only Bob. He's got hold of that ball of his and pushed it down the stairs. It's a favourite game of his. Come and see. What does he want? Throw the ball up to him, sir. There you are, boy. <laughs> and now he'll give it a push with his nose and watch it bounce down the stairs. <laughs> He'd have you playing that game all day, sir. That'll do now, Bobsy. Come down and get your ball. <laughs> Would you care to see the upstairs rooms, gentlemen? Uh, we'd love to, I'm sure. Uh, Lead the way, mademoiselle. This was Miss Arundel's room, sir. We call it the Yellow Room. And is this where she died? Yes, sir. Tell me, Ellen, had Miss Lawson been with your mistress long? Oh, only about a year, sir. That was why it came as such a surprise. What came as a surprise? The mistress leaving her everything, sir. Her nephew and her nieces had always understood the entire fortune would be divided between them when she died. They'd been counting on it, so to speak. Her nephew and her nieces? Mr Charles Arundel and his sister, Teresa, and Bella Tanyos. She married a foreigner. I don't think the mistress ever really approved of him. Your mistress must have been unusually attached to Miss Lawson, then. Oh, I don't think so. She's quite an ordinary sort of person. Oh, you like her? There isn't anything to like or dislike. A regular fussy old maid with her head stuffed with nonsense about spirits. Spirits? Yes, sir. Sitting round a table and dead people come back and talk to you. And was Miss Arundel a believer too? Oh, Miss Lawson would have liked her to be, but the mistress had too much good sense. Mind you, I don't say it didn't amuse her. Particularly with the others as serious as death about it. The others? The two Misses Tripp. They live in Sheep Street. They're always going in for these seance things. They even had one in this very house the night the mistress was taken so poorly. They actually had a seance here? Yes, sir. And they got all excited about some green light they said was hanging about the mistress's head. It was all nonsense, of course, but Miss Lawson lapped it up. We did not linger over the other bedrooms. 
But as we were about to descend the stairs... Oh! Oh, what is it, mon ami? I nearly slipped on something. It's Bob's ball. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I should have warned you. Bob has a habit of leaving his ball at the top of the stairs. The poor mistress had a nasty fall through it. Might easily have been the death of her. Was she badly hurt? Well, not as much as you'd think. Very lucky she was, Dr Granger said. She was in bed for about a week, but it wasn't serious. Was this long ago? Just a week or two before she died. Oh. Is something the matter, Perotti? Have you dropped something? Uh, my fountain pen had uh, slipped out of my pocket. Shall we carry on downstairs, gentlemen? Of course. He is careless, this master Bob. Oh, it wasn't really his fault, sir. He wasn't to know that the mistress didn't sleep very well and would often go downstairs and wander about the house. I should like to take another look at the drawing room, if I may. Of course, sir. Uh, did your mistress seem unduly perturbed about Bob and his ball after the accident? Oh, yes, sir. It worried her a lot. Mm. When she was dying, she was rambling on about Bob and the ball and a picture that was ajar. A picture that was ajar? Mm. Uh, observe this very curious china ornament, Hastings. I don't see anything remarkable about it. Well, the picture of the morose-looking bulldog on the lid is very charming. <sighs> out all night and no key, it says. Does Bob sometimes stay out all night, Helen? He has done, sir, once or twice. As a matter of fact, he was out the night of the mistress's accident. He came home about five. Miss Lawson went down to let him in before he woke everybody up with his barking. And she didn't want a mistress to know about it because she thought it might upset her. I see. Helen, do you know anything about this letter? Oh, well, I never did. Are you the gentleman this letter was written to? Mr Hercules Poirot? Yes, I am Hercule Poirot. You see, sir, I didn't know what to do about it. When Miss Lawson was turning out things after the mistress's death, there was this little papier-mâché blotter Miss Arundel used when she was writing her letters in bed, and... Yes, Helen, go on. Miss Lawson didn't want it for herself, so she gave it to me, and I put it away in a drawer. It wasn't until yesterday that I took it out. Thought I ought to put some new blotting paper in it. And I found the letter tucked away inside it. I, I didn't rightly know what to do with it. I couldn't take it upon myself to open it. So I put a stamp on it and posted it. Amazing how simple an explanation can be. I am in a dilemma, Ellen. This letter was a commission with which Miss Arundel wished to entrust me. Perhaps I should consult her lawyer. Oh, th that would be Mr Purvis from Archester. It was him she sent for after the fall, she had. What, the fall down the stairs? Yes. When did he come, exactly? The day after the Easter bank holiday, after the family had gone back. The family? The nieces and nephew, Miss Bella, or Mrs Tanios, I should say, Miss Teresa and Mr Charles. And that was the last your mistress saw of them? Oh, no, sir. Dr Tanios and Bella came again the next weekend because they were worried about Miss Arundel. And what about Mr. Charles and Miss Teresa? They came the weekend after, the weekend before she died. Eh bien, the information you have given me has been invaluable, Ellen, oh. and the mystery of the letter has been solved. Thank you for all your help. <laughs> and you too, Bob. <laughs> you love your mistress. 
even if you did sometimes stay out all night. Brave dog. Well, Poirot, I hope you're satisfied now. All the mysteries explained, the delayed letter, and even the incident of the dog's ball. No, Hastings, I am not satisfied. For I know one little thing that you do not. And what's that? There is a nail driven into the skirting board at the top of the stairs. Why shouldn't there be? And it was carefully varnished so as not to be noticed. Was that what you were looking at when you pretended you were picking up your fountain pen? What are you trying to tell me? If you wished to stretch a length of cord or wire across the top of the stairs, you could tie it on one side to the banister, but on the other, you would need something like a nail to attach it to. But why should anyone want to do that? Someone had observed Bob's habit of leaving his ball at the top of the stairs. A dangerous thing to do. It might lead to an accident. And this gave our would-be murderer an idea. Murderer? Yes, Hastings. I believe it was an attempt at murder. Miss Arundel was in the habit of coming out of her room at night and wandering about the house. A wire stretched across the top of the stairs would be a very effective way of pitching her down head foremost. And when the household came rushing out, the murderer would produce the cause of the accident. Bob's ball. How horrible. Taking advantage of a poor, innocent dog. Mm-hmm. But Miss Arundel was very little hurt, and she was a very quick-witted old lady. She knew that she had not slipped on Bob's ball, and she remembered him barking to be let in the following morning. Out all night and no key, like the dog on the china jar. Not a jar, as Ellen thought. Uh, it's all highly ingenious, and I take my hat off to you. And I'm sure it must be a great disappointment that the old lady died a natural death. Shall we go back to London now? If you show the dog the rabbit, my friend, he does not go back to London. He goes down the rabbit hole. What rabbit hole? Let us go and talk to Dr. Granger who attended Miss Arundel in her last illness. What can I do for you, gentlemen? You look healthy enough to me. <laughs> to my amazement, instead of inventing some medical pretext, Poirot launched into the most extraordinary farrago of nonsense. I am writing a book on the life of General Arundel, who played such a fascinating role in the history of the Indian mutiny. Old Arundel? He lived just up the road, a little greenhouse, but he was a good deal before my time. Uh, you knew his daughter, however, the late Miss Arundel. Yes, I knew her very well. Uh, you understand it has been a severe blow to me to find that Miss Arundel has so recently died. My research, with which she would have been invaluable... Quite, but I don't see what I can do about it. The General has no sons or daughters living? No, all dead, a lot of them. And in the next generation? Charles Arundel and his sister Teresa, but I doubt whether they'd be much use to you. The younger generation doesn't take much interest in its grandfathers. And there's Mrs. Tanios, but I doubt whether you get much out of her either. There might have been family papers, documents. Well, there might have been, but most of the stuff was cleared out and burned after Emily's death. But uh, what's so special about old Arundel? I wouldn't have thought anybody could possibly find anything interesting in him. Ah, but is there not a saying that history knows nothing of its greatest men? Recently, certain papers have come to light which show that the general played a vital role which makes his story of the greatest interest to the present time. <laughs> you amaze me. All I know about his part in the mutiny is that he was a prize bore on the subject. Who told you that? Miss Peabody. You might call on her, I suppose. 
She knew all of the Arundels intimately and is a tremendous gossip. Eventually, after a good deal of floundering around, Poirot did manage to get round to the subject of the old lady's death. The verdict was exactly as I had predicted. Nothing very unexpected about it. She'd been poor health for years. Liver trouble. She always managed to pull through before, but this time she didn't. That's all there is to be said. I heard some story that she had quarrelled with her family. Well, she didn't actually quarrel with them, as far as I know. But I understand she left her money away from the family. Yes, odd thing to do. Left it all to her frightful, fluttering hen of a companion. Yes. One can imagine such a thing happening. An insignificant woman who had managed to gain a great ascendancy over her. Ascendancy? <laughs> Nothing of the sort. Emily Arundel treated Miss Lawson worse than a stray cat. You seem to have got a hold of the most extraordinary ideas. Oh, I'm sorry you do not think my little fiction well-imagined, Hastings. I was rather pleased with it. <laughs> so, what do we do now? We go to see Miss Peabody. And you propose to tell her the same story? Of course. If one is going to tell a lie, one might as well be consistent. Going to write a book, eh? Yes, madam. In English? Yes, certainly. But you're a foreigner. Huh. You is secretary? Uh, yes, I am. Can you speak English? <laughs> I should hope so. Where'd you go to school? Eton. Then you can't. But before I could leap to the defence of my alma mater, Miss Peabody had turned to the matter in hand. She had precious little to say about the general, but a good deal about Miss Arundel's siblings. Emily had three sisters. They all died some years ago and left her most of their money, so she was a very wealthy woman. And there was a brother, Thomas. Nobody thought he'd ever marry, and it came as a terrible shock when he did, especially the wife he chose. Oh, why was that, madame? Her name was Mrs Varley, supposed to have murdered her husband with arsenic. Thomas got quite obsessed with her. He used to get all the papers and cut out all her photographs. And when she was acquitted... Thomas, who couldn't say boo to a goose, went off to London and asked her to marry him, and he'd never met her before in his life. And was it a happy marriage? Well, they had two children, Charles and Teresa. I suppose they came to see their aunt a good deal? Not until their parents were dead. Emily was all alone in the world by then, and they and Bella Briggs were all the kith and kin she had. Bella Briggs? Emily's niece, the daughter of her sister Arabella, made a fool of herself, married some foreign doctor who was studying at the university in London. Well, I don't suppose Bella had many chances. And has that been a happy marriage? I wouldn't say that for certain about any marriage. They live in Smyrna, but they're still over here at the moment. Came to stay with Emily for Easter, but I expect that now they know they're getting nothing out of Emily's will, they'll be on their way back. And uh, did Miss Arundel leave a very considerable fortune? Yes, and that's caused all the bother. No one ever suspected the Lawson woman would get it all. Did it come as a surprise to you? But to tell you the truth, it did. Emily had always said that her money would be divided equally between her two nieces and her nephew. And that's the way it was in her original will. And then, quite out of the blue, ten days before her death, she sends for her solicitor and makes a new will. The family was thunderstruck. 
and the Lawson creature seemed more surprised than anybody. Has there been any attempt to question the will? Teresa's taken counsel's opinion, I believe. A lot of good that'll do her. What kind of person is she? Teresa? She's rather an exotic creature. Inherited a small fortune from her father and got through it in no time. She lives life to the full, so long as someone's prepared to pay for it. And her brother Charles? A charming fellow, but no good. Always hard up, always in debt, always returning like a bad penny from all over the world. My, mind you, I can't help liking the rogue. Going to get in touch with him? Well, it seems to me possible that he might have some family papers relating to his grandfather. Well, he's more likely to have made a bonfire of them. Well, I must not trespass any longer on your time, madame. Well, I hope I've told you what you wanted to know. Though we don't seem to have got down to talking about the Indian mutiny. Hmm. What have you found out about the part the general played in it all? Oh, I am still in the early stages of my research, madame. Oh, I shall be very curious to know what you come up with. Send me a copy of the book when it comes out. <clears throat> Something tells me she didn't find your story entirely convincing. You think not? So, what local celebrity do we try next? I think we should pay a little call on Lady Demoiselle Tripp. The spiritualist ladies? <laughs> must be joking. We must leave no stone unturned, Hastings. What an unbelievably ghastly pair. <laughs> I'm very glad we did not accept their invitation to dinner. <laughs> Shredded raw vegetables. <laughs> Mon Dieu. Oh, they clearly thought the world of Miss Wilhelmina Lawson. Such a rare soul, so simple, so earnest. <laughs> but clearly Miss Arundel did not share their convictions. She was obviously stringing them along, pretending to go along with it all, and then suddenly coming out with, what was their word for it? Something ribald. <laughs> And yet that seance on the night Miss Arundel was taken ill. There was a kind of halo round her head, a sign that she was about to pass over. <laughs> there is something curious there. Well, she hasn't sent them a message to say she's been murdered. So, what orders for your chauffeur now? You will be glad to hear, Hastings, that for the time being we have finished with market basing. We can return to London. Well, at least you've enjoyed your little busman's holiday. You do not think I am serious, my friend? Oh, you're serious enough. But you're doing it all for the sake of your own private satisfaction. What I mean is, it's not real. There you are wrong, my friend. It is intensely real. But the old lady died of natural causes. I have yet to be convinced of that, Hastings. And somebody did attempt to kill her. You mean you're still determined to go on with it? Most certainly. Tomorrow we shall call on Miss Teresa Arundel. And who are we supposed to be this time? Oh, I shall present my card, Hastings. I shall go as myself. Monsieur Hercule Poirot. And to think I've lost my autograph book. You know my name, mademoiselle? Little friend of Scotland Yard. That's right, isn't it? Well, it is true that I do concern myself with problems of crime, mademoiselle. Why don't you take a seat, Monsieur Poirot? Thank you, mademoiselle. Allow me to introduce my good friend, Captain Hastings. So what can I do for you, Monsieur Poirot? I was hoping, mademoiselle, that you might consent to answering a few questions. What about? Suppose you give me a specimen. Can you tell me the present address of your brother, Charles? 
I'm afraid I can't. I rather think he's left England. Is that all? Oh, no. We've got quite a few other questions. Such as? Are you satisfied with the way in which your Aunt Emily disposed of her fortune? <laughs> Ça ne vous regarde pas, Monsieur Poirot. Oh, does it not, Mademoiselle? You should not always judge a book by its jacket. Allow me to congratulate you on your French accent and to wish you a very good morning. Come, Hastings. Oh. Come back! Uh, please, please come back, Monsieur Poirot, and sit down. You too, Captain Hastings. Now, uh, let's stop playing the fool. It's just possible you may be useful to me. Possibly, Mademoiselle. <clears throat> In what way? Tell me how I can break that will. But surely what you need is a lawyer. The only lawyers I know are all respectable men. I want someone who is utterly unscrupulous, and I'm prepared to pay. And you believe that I am prepared to be unscrupulous if I am paid? You're a clever man. You could think up something. Like kidnapping the Lawson woman and frightening her into saying she forced Aunt Emily to change her will. Oh, your fertile imagination takes my breath away. <laughs> if that's a righteous refusal... No, it is not a righteous refusal. Yet... But Poirot... Uh... Contain, I beg you, your beautiful and upright nature, Hastings. What we are about to do will be strictly within the law. My reputation, it must not suffer. But you have to give me all the facts of the case, mademoiselle. What do you want to know? What were the provisions of your aunt's original will? Everything was to be divided equally between Bella Charles and me. And you knew about this? Aunt Emily made no secret of it. If any of us asked for a loan, she would say, You will have all my money when I am dead and gone. Be content with what you've got. And what does that amount to, mademoiselle? My father left Charles and me 30,000 each. The interest on that amounts to 1,200 a year. A nice little investment on which one can manage very prettily. But I do not wish to manage prettily. I want the best clothes and the best food. I want to go to the Mediterranean and lie in the summer sun. I want everything that's going in this rotten world, and I want it now. And how much of your 30,000 is left? 221 pounds, 14 and 7 pence. <laughs> so you see, you've got to get results. Oh, there will certainly be results. And what about your brother Charles? 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 Who's asking about Charles? What's going on, old girl? <laughs> this is Monsieur Poirot, Charles. He's going to do a little dirty work for us. Oh, mademoiselle, no, not dirty work. Shall we say a little harmless deception? So that your aunt's original intentions can be carried out? May I present my good friend, Captain Hastings? Well, how do you do, Mr. Arnold? How do you do, Captain? I always thought you, Monsieur Poirot, were famous for tracking down criminals. What do you have in mind? A little spot of forgery, perhaps? Hmm? I got sent down from Oxford for a little misunderstanding about a cheque. And there was another little frisson with Aunt Emily about my doing a very passable imitation of her signature. But forging a deathbed will would be rather a different matter. By whom was your aunt's second will witnessed? Her solicitor, Purvis, brought down his clerk, and the other witness was the gardener. Purvis didn't care for the new will. He actually tried to talk Aunt Emily out of it. I shall need as much information as you can give me on the last weeks of your aunt's life. I believe you both stayed there for Easter. Yes. Tanius and Bella were there as well. Did anything of significance happen that we can't? 
I don't think so. What an appallingly self-centred creature you are, Teresa. You can't have forgotten that our revered aunt tripped over the dog's oh. ball and did a header down the staircase. Nearly finished her off. It might have been better if it had, really. Saved us all this fuss. Mm. It must have been a great disappointment to you. Well, it was, rather. Tough nuts, these old ladies. And when did you leave? On the Wednesday morning. And when did you next see your aunt? It wasn't the next weekend. It was the one after that. It was rather on the spur of the moment. Oh, tell him the truth, Charles. Bella and her husband had been down the weekend before. We were worried they might steal a march on us. It's a pretty story, isn't it? All of us with our tongues hanging out for the money. Was that really the case with your cousin and her husband? Oh, yes. Bella's always hard up. Rather pathetic, the way she tries to copy all my clothes at about one-eighth of the price. Tanios speculated with her money, of course. She's a rather dreary woman, isn't she, Charles? Rather like an earwig. She's a devoted mother, of course, but so are earwigs, I believe. <laughs> and was anything said about the new will during that second weekend? No, nothing. Oh, yes, there was. But Charles... Surely, you remember, Aunt Emily made a kind of speech about it, said we weren't fit persons to be trusted with money. She hadn't actually got anything against Bella, but she didn't trust Tanios. She said she was convinced that if she left Bella anything, he'd try to get his hands on it. Therefore, she was going to leave everything to Miss Lawson. The woman's a fool, she said, but I really believe she is devoted to me. She told me she thought it only fair to let me know, so I wouldn't try to raise money against my expectations. Rather a nasty one, that, since it was exactly what I was planning to do. And what did you say to all that? Oh, I just laughed. I told her it was a bit of a blow, but it was her own money to do with what she liked. She said I was quite a sportsman and actually gave me a fiver. As a matter of fact, I didn't take it very seriously. I thought she'd tear the will up after a few weeks. I believe she would have done if she hadn't died so suddenly. Could anyone, um, Miss Lawson, for instance, have overheard that conversation? We weren't speaking any too low, and she was hovering about the door when I went out. And you knew nothing of this, Miss Arundel? Well, I I'm sure I told you, Teresa, or, or at least hinted at it. If you had told me, Charles, I don't think I would have forgotten. Do you, Monsieur Poirot? No, Mademoiselle, I do not think you would have forgotten. But, Monsieur Arundel, let me be clear on one point. Did your aunt tell you she was about to alter her will, or that she had altered it? Oh, she'd already changed it. As a matter of fact, she showed me the new will. She actually showed it to you? Oh, yes. You would swear to that? Well, certainly. And you, mademoiselle, did your aunt say anything of importance to you during that weekend? Oh, she lectured me on my way of life. Too many clothes, too many parties, too many men. But then she always did. Ah, ah now I must be on my way. Um, tell me, is Miss Lawson the kind of person who might conceivably lose her head under cross-examination in court? I should say that a really bullying KC could make her say that black was white. Why don't you go and see her for yourself? She lives in some dreary flat in Bayswater, Clanroydon Mansions. We shall go straight away. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Au revoir, monsieur Arundel. Come, Hastings. But Poirot did not leave the flat. In the hall, he opened and shut the front door, put his fingers to his lips, then tiptoed back to the door of Miss Arundel's sitting room and, quite unblushingly, put his ear to the crack. Oh, you 
fool, Charles, you fool! I don't care for that sort of thing, Poirot. Do we have to listen at doors? But it was not you who applied your ear to the crack. You stood there bolt upright like a soldier. But I heard just the same. Well, Mademoiselle was hardly whispering. But come, there is work to be done. Let us take a look at Wilhelmina Lawson. She is, after all, the only person to have benefited from the death of Emily Arundel, and by a very considerable amount. Oh, please do take a seat. I'm afraid there isn't much room. Thank you. Yes, do move that table if it's in your way. Oh, these flats are a teeny bit on the small side, but so central. Now, what I have to say to you, Miss Lawson is in the strictest confidence. Oh, yes, of course. You may not be aware that shortly before she died, Miss Emily Arundel wrote to me. Monsieur Poirot is a well-known private detective. I see. Uh, was it about the money? The money? You mean, um... Uh, the money that was... Yes, um... uh, the money that was taken from the drawer. Ah, did Miss Arundel tell you she had written to me? No, I had no idea, and... Very surprised that she... That she should have mentioned it to anyone. Yes, she had a very good idea. A very good idea of who took it? And I shouldn't have thought she would have wanted... Was it a family matter, Miss Lawson? Yes, it was. I specialise in family matters. I am very discreet. Very? Oh, of course, there had been trouble with Charles before. Once, I believe, he had to go to Australia. No. I understand that Miss Arundel left a sum of money in a drawer. Yes, for the wages and so on. And how much was missing exactly? Four pounds. No, I'm wrong. Three pound notes and two ten shilling ones. Was there anything to show who'd taken the money? Oh, but it could only have been Charles. I don't think Miss Teresa would do such a thing. Nor would Mrs Tanios. And her husband wouldn't have known where the money was kept. And neither of the maids would have dreamed of doing such a thing. Miss Lawson, I wonder if you could give me any idea. I'm sure you can, for if anyone possessed Miss Arundel's confidence, you did. Oh, I, I don't know about that, I'm sure. Have you any idea of the reason why Miss Arundel changed her will? Her will? It is true, is it not, that she made a new will shortly before her death, leaving all her fortune to you? Yes, but I knew nothing about it. Nothing at all. It was the greatest surprise to me. It was like a... Oh, like a fairy story. But sometimes I don't feel altogether comfortable about it. Because of Miss Arundel leaving all her money away from the family? I mean, it doesn't seem right, does it? You mean you would prefer to relinquish the money? Well, of course, there are two sides to every question. Obviously, Miss Arundel meant me to have the money... If I didn't take it, I should be going against her wishes. But I have worried about it a great deal. Bella is such a nice woman, and those sweet children. Uh, perhaps Miss Arundel meant me to use my discretion. She didn't want to leave any money directly, because she was afraid that man would get hold of it. What man? Husband. Poor Bella does everything he tells her. I dare say she'd murder someone if he told her to. Hmm. What kind of man is Dr. Tanios? Well, he's a very pleasant sort of man. But you don't quite trust him. I don't know that I trust any man very much. Such dreadful things one hears, and all the things their poor wives have to go through. Oh, he pretends to be very fond of Bella, and he's very charming to her. But I don't trust foreigners. 
They're so artful. But it is hard for Miss Teresa and Mr. Charles also to be deprived of their inheritance. I think Teresa has quite as much money as is good for her. She spends hundreds of pounds on her clothes. And as for her underwear, it's wicked. You think it would do her no harm to earn her own living? It might do her a lot of good. Bring her to her senses. And Charles Arundel? He doesn't deserve a penny. His aunt cut him off for a very good reason. And after his wicked threats. You mean he actually threatened her? It was on the Easter Sunday which made it even worse. He asked her for some money and she refused to give it to him. And he told her if she kept up that attitude, he'd bump her off. Bump her off? What did she say to that? She said, I think you'll find, Charles, that I can look after myself. You were in the room at the time? Not actually. In the room, no. No, no. Well, you knew, of course, that Miss Arundel was making a new will. Well, I suspected something of the kind when she sent for her lawyer while she was laid up. That was after her fall? Yes. Bob, oh, that was her dog, had left his ball at the top of the stairs and she tripped over it and fell. She might easily have been killed. That's what the doctor said. We made Bob's acquaintance when we called at Little Greenhouse. <laughs> Splendid little chap. Oh, yes, he's a nice little doggy. <laughs> Do you think it possible that her fall influenced her to change her will? I shouldn't wonder if you weren't right. It gave her a shock. She might even have had a premonition that her death wasn't far off. Her illness must have come on very suddenly. Oh, yes, it did. It was all very strange. We had Isabella and Julia trip round that evening. The spiritualist ladies. Was Miss Arundel a believer? She was very sceptical. But on that occasion, there was the most extraordinary manifestation. You know what ectoplasm is? Mm, I am acquainted with its nature. Well, that evening we saw a luminous ribbon issuing out of Miss Arundel's mouth. Good Lord. Then her head became enveloped in a kind of mist. We were certain it was a sign she was about to pass over into the other sphere. And she was taken ill that very night, and we had to give up the seance. Now, Teresa and Charles Arundel had been down that weekend, had they not? They had. The visit was not a success, perhaps. It was not. Miss Arundel knew what they'd come for. Money. Hmm. And they didn't get it? They did not. And I believe that's what Dr. Tanios was after, too. Was he down here that same weekend? Yes, he came down on the Sunday. He only stayed about an hour. Well... Thank you very much, Miss Lawson, for all your kindness and help. Oh, I'm very glad if I've been of use. I think there is something you should be told. Charles and Teresa Arundel are hoping to upset the will. They can't do that. My lawyer says so. Well, you have already consulted a lawyer, then? Certainly. Why shouldn't I? I knew the family wouldn't give up that easily. Hastings, that woman is either exactly what she seems to be or else she is a very clever actress. I wish I could be sure. Well, she obviously doesn't think Miss Arundel died anything other than a perfectly natural death. So it would appear, yes. Are you sure you're not just being carried away by professional zeal? You want it to be murder, so it must be murder. But murder is my business, Hastings. I am like a great specialist who knows all there is to know about a particular part of the body, and I have never yet given an inaccurate diagnosis. Uh, so, where do we go next? 
I think perhaps we should pay a call on Mrs. Tanyos and her husband. After all, did Miss Lawson not say the lady would kill anyone if he told her to do so? Taxi! In part one of Agatha Christie's Dumb Witness, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Captain Hastings, Simon Williams. Miss Lawson, Joanna David. Teresa Arundel, Tracy Wiles. Charles Arundel, Ivan Meredith. Ellen, Elizabeth Proud. Miss Peabody, Rosalind Knight. Dr. Granger, Sam Dale. And Bob the Dog, Richard Beadsmore. The music was composed by Tom Smale. Dumb Witness is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. This has been a Nostalgic Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>